0: Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt. This is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any
1: more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to Angie! That's tall. No, that's good. I think. We'll work with it. I'm a teacher, we're flexible. <laughs> appreciate that. Um, this I'm going to knock that over, though, because I start moving. I'm going to knock that over. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. So, man, I love that worship. I forget my own name when I start <laughs> worshiping. <laughs> so, I'm like, oh, that's right. I'm talking tonight. Woo. All right. So, Fair warning tonight, I'm a dedicated educator, history fanatic, and I'm a deep context diver, and I'm also passionate advocate for freedom and redemption. So we're gonna go deep, and I invite you to run after it with me tonight. Sound good? All right. Char said it was gonna be uh, eight hours, so we'll see if we can fit it in there. I'm a talker, it's great. So get your notes ready, people. If you brought your actual Bible, you guys are my people. There is something about holding the Word of God that just gets to me. So I'll be reading out of Isaiah 61, which is a pretty well-known passage of Scripture, but my hope is that the Holy Spirit reveals more to us in these verses to get us fired up. So let's get it. I don't know what's up there. Ooh, nice. Isaiah 61, verse 1, says this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. Okay, we just focus on that for right now yeah. how many of you guys have had to write a mission statement oh, yeah. yeah so what's the purpose of a mission statement mission. state <laughs> state the mission <laughs> thanks grant <laughs> a mission statement is to is a summary of the aims and values of a person yes. this is jesus's mission statement it's his values his aims his credentials all eight laid out on the table. He announces that he is anointed to speak, to proclaim. Jesus reminds us that he is the ultimate physician and therapist to comfort and heal. You know when there's a list of credentials, it's gonna get good because it speaks of authority. It says, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners set free. I love that. I could read that all day. Jesus Christ places the mantle of liberator upon his shoulders as the breaker of chains. If you don't get chills hearing that, you got to check your heart, seriously. Now Isaiah moves on into why his authority has a role in our lives. In verse 3, it says, to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his glory. I'm gonna focus mainly on the part, first part of that verse, and it reads, to all who mourn, he will give you a crown of beauty for ashes. Now ashes are the ultimate sign of ruin and destruction. Ashes are what complete loss looks like. They are a symbol of death. Biblically, people would pour or smear ashes upon themselves as a sign of deep sorrow and lament. Here's a freebie. How many times do we grieve the Holy Spirit by sitting in our ashes? Now picture a basket weaver. We can look at this piece of scripture and envision the Creator weaving our mess-ups, our trauma, our pain, into the basket along with his perfect pieces to create beauty out of something that is ugly. But I challenge you to dive a bit deeper with me. Y'all ready? (laughs) There is a tiny word that we often overlook in this verse. Our brains tend to think in terms of beauty from the ashes. The idea of God taking our ashes and weaving or adding it into something he is creating makes sense but the Bible clearly says for, beauty for ashes. This tiny word is defined as an exchange. Y'all following me? The goal of Christ taking on our ashes, the burden of our sin, is not for improvement. The goal is for an exchange. It's the exchange of a 100 million mistakes, abuse, trauma, grief, rejection, pain, and loss, being exchanged for his perfect, blameless life. Oh Want to know something that will really flip your noodle? <laughs> yes. Kelsey's like, oh, here she goes. <laughs> the, Hebrew, the Hebrew words for beauty and ashes are nearly identical. Both words can be used to represent a turban. Yeah, you heard me, a turban. So what Isaiah is really saying is that the exchange Christ gives us is a turban for a turban. One turban represents mourning and sadness, and the other turban represents honor, purity, and respect, much like a turban that a bridegroom would wear on his wedding day. Jesus exchanges our turban, our crown of mourning of our sin with his bridegroom crown of beauty and honor, beauty four ashes. Y'all getting pumped or what? (laughs) Isaiah continues saying in verse six, you will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them everyone will realize that they are a people that the Lord has blessed. Y'all, this is where I get really excited. (laughs) I could talk all night about Isaiah 61. We know Jesus's mission statement. We know now that there is an exchange that happens. And here is where we as believers, we are anointed to the point that we are called priests. Do you hear any humiliation in that? Any disgrace? Nope, not at all. Jesus has proclaimed that his mission is to comfort and to set us free He exchanges our ashes with his perfect beauty hear me Jesus Exchanges our death for life in him. We are no longer covered in shame before God Mm. Think back of when you said those powerful words to acknowledge Christ as your Lord and Savior When you surrendered your life to him now picture his perfect blameless crown being placed upon your head in that moment. He takes your death and your sin. Who would pass up on that deal? And we're not done. We ain't even done yet. (laughs) I got pages left, Char. (laughs) In verse 10, it says, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God for he has dressed me with the clothes of salvation. He draped me in the robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. We don't think too much about a robe today, but being draped in a robe in this context indicates a dignified, elevated status as an investment. It's no longer a robe, it's an investment. It also is seen as a seal of alliance. The very foundation of the word robe can be tied to the spoils or reward of warfare. Pay attention here. Say I'm a teacher, I'm gonna get my teacher voice on. (laughs) Jesus, (laughs) Jesus invests in us. He set a seal upon us in alliance. We are the reward of his warfare on the cross to defeat Sin for us to have an eternal covenant with the Father. Whew. Yeah. I know, right? The fact that the garments Isaiah is talking about are external—they are visible for all to see. Yeah. They would be bright and flashy, the opposites of rags and sackcloth, resembling death. Yeah. He compares it even to a wedding. I mean, on a wedding day, it ain't drab. It's all glam. It's total glam. <laughs> It should be so apparent that we are robed or sealed in righteousness and praise that those around us should be compelled to see the grace that is bestowed upon us. So much so that people would begin to question, how is it that you have this peace, this calm, this confidence? We can grieve loss. We can seek help to heal trauma, absolutely. However, Matt talked on Sunday about how we are the most intimidating force outside of god that struck me hard we have access to that crazy level of freedom i want to seek after that kind of insane intimacy with my savior but you know who holds us back who holds me back you got it me you i can only speak for myself but i tend to run towards the comfortable the safe zone of my so-called reality using past experiences, especially painful ones, to measure the risk of growth. Case in point, it is not comfortable for me to be up here. (laughs) It's new territory. The fear of unknown can cause us to hold tight to things because the thought of complete surrender is terrifying. But in that surrender, we become the most intimidating force outside of God. Had I said no to the offer to speak tonight, I would have passed up on the opportunity to grow. I would have settled for my safe zone. Where are your safe zones? Where Where have you grown comfortable? These verses spoke of a full circle of who Jesus is to us, how Jesus exchanged our death with his life, how we are called priests without shame because of that exchange, and how we are now sealed with salvation and righteousness. If we truly believe these verses, how could we not be a force to be reckoned with? I I encourage you to ask a dangerous request. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal where he is calling you to be a force to be reckoned with and how to get there. Often, we get fixated on our own difficulties that cause us to forget how powerful our God is and how the very same Spirit lives within us. I know I do. There is a powerful quote by the great non-conforming preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I had to The direction, okay, gotta listen. Listen to ears on. The direction of where you turn to in hardships and trials demonstrate whether or not you are the child of God or a hypocrite. Y'all know I'm going to get challenged by this tomorrow, right? (laughs) I can say it one more time. The direction of where you turn to in hardships and trials demonstrate whether or not you are a child of God or a hypocrite. The hypocrite looks to the world to find comfort but a child of God runs to the Father in expectation to be comforted. True grace abides with God and submits to His will. Oh, that was a lot. I made it through, Char. Are you proud of me? <laughs> he was like, it's gonna be eight hours. You got pages and pages. <laughs> All right, so, but I really felt this as I was preparing for this. To wrap up, I wanna pray over us as a body of believers to get this idea of of exchange and the investment and how we belong to christ the liberator and i always love this term the breaker of chains i just think that's awesome so if you want to either put your hands out close your eyes do a physical expression i'm going to pray over us we're going to get after it father god words cannot express how incredible your plan of redemption is for us. Thank you for sending your perfect son to exchange his life so we are forgiven. Holy Spirit, I ask that you help us see ourselves as investments, that we are wearing the seal of alliance to become so confident who we are in Christ and whose we are that we discover a new level of fierce freedom that we have never account- encountered before. We ask these things in your holy and mighty name. Amen. Amen. And I think I get to tell Grant it's your turn. <laughs> 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 you
2: Thank you. Hey, Angie, uh, can I just have your notes and read them again? Because, dude, I'm, what? So good. Let me get situated. Yeah, which, all right, cool. Thanks, dude. All right, hold on, guys. Thanks, Matt. I tried to wear like Matt's, you know, jeans, and I'm just trying to be like you, bro. Don't got the Chelsea boots yet, though. So, that's not, that's not yet. Angie, that was so good. Where are you? There you are. Thank you for blessing us with that. Oh, my goodness. All right, so, I don't even know how to top that up. Oh, my gosh. All right, so. So I'm gonna be uh, talking about Jesus, and uh, I think that's fitting. You also talked about Jesus. You know, we're a church that talks about Jesus, so we're just gonna keep going with it. Um, I'm gonna be coming out of my scriptures out of Revelation. Um, so before we get into it, I want to share uh, just a little context here. Um, I'm not an end times preacher. That's not what this is about to be. Um <laughs> trust me, I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna try. Um but I do want to encourage you guys and kind of explain. So, Revelation, this book, right? Some of you may be like, oh man, that's kind of intimidating. Um when I was uh I've been a Christian, let's see, nine years now, almost nine years. Um yeah, nine years. And um and when I was Younger in my faith, I was like, man, the book of Revelation, that's cool, but man, that's intimidating. Like, I don't really want to read that. It's so much symbolism. Like, I don't understand what's going on. Um, And so it is an intimidating book, but I want to encourage you, it shouldn't be. And it shouldn't be an intimidating book because the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus. It is not the book of Revelations. There's not more than one. It's not simply just an end times book. It's not about the mark of the beast and everything that all that is included there. Um, it is the revelation of Jesus. And, um, and it shows us Jesus. So the book is the revelation of Jesus to John. And so I'm going to be coming out of chapter 1, um, verse 12 through... I'm actually going to read 20, but I give you 18. So I'm going to read it. I'm going to break it down. And I'm going to just kind of share what the Lord's doing through me, kind of with this and how He's speaking to me. So starting at verse 12, Revelation 1. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe. Man, y'all, if you just read that once a day, oh my goodness, that will change your day. I'm not even kidding. I've been doing it once a day for about a week now, and it is just, it's amazing. Um, On to verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the churches, of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Ooh, all right. So we're going to dive into it, all right, guys? Um, okay, so like I said, the revelation of Jesus to John. Um, there's a blessing that starts this book off. It's actually super cool. I think it's one of the only books in the Bible that has like a blessing kind of attached to it. So in uh, Revelation 1, verse 3, John says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So I'm blessed because I just read that aloud, okay? Um, Blessed are those who hear. You guys are blessed if you were listening because you just heard what I had read, all right? And who keep what is written for the time is near. So there's a blessing in this book. So that's just another encouragement. Like read it, like like, it literally says you're going to be blessed if you read this book or if you hear it, right? So that should be enough to stir us on to do it. Um, so right before that that section that I just read, that longer one, um, verse 11, Jesus instructs John to write down what he sees shows him all this crazy vision, um, and tells him to send it out to the seven churches. So it's the revelation of Jesus to John, right? But it's also the revelation of Jesus to the church because Jesus doesn't tell John, hey, write it down and keep it to yourself. He's like, no, write it down, send it out. And so he sends us this to this, these seven churches at this time, uh, but I don't think it's just meant for those seven churches. There's some specific sections that are directly meant for those churches, but it also applies to us as well. So this... This book is a message to us, all right? Um, And the coolest thing I think about this book, and one of the coolest things that I think about um, God just in general, is that God is not a God that keeps himself hidden. He is not a God that is like, hey, try to figure out what I'm about and who I am. Good luck. That's not God. Like, that's not even him at all. Um, He is so faithful to reveal himself to us. And the number one way that God reveals himself to us is through his word is through the word of God. And so if you yourself are sitting there and you're like, "Man, I want a revelation of God, but you're not finding yourself in the book, in the Bible, you're fooling yourself." Like you're like literally like you're being dumb if I'm being honest. And because yeah, I will. I'm actually not cuz that's, you know, that's a bad word, right, Sydney? Um so reading the word it 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 equals knowing God. And if you want to know God and you're not reading his word, it's just not going to work. You're not going to have a revelation or understand who Jesus is through watching a pastor on YouTube. You're not only going to get it just from coming to church on a Sunday and watching Matt's awesome messages. Like it's not going to work. You have to get into the word yourself. Okay. It's so crucial. So important. All right. So I'm going to break down these verses real quick. I know I only got 15 minutes. You guys make this hard. Okay. It's hard. It's so hard. It's all good. All right. Cool. So on verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. On turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. So on the very end, Jesus says that those are the seven churches. So this book, it contains a ton of symbolism. Okay. And so the lampstands, they're a symbol. Uh, One way I heard it put was, the lampstand, it kind of holds the light up, right? And so Jesus is the light, the church is the lampstand. We are the one that erects and kind of raises up Jesus for the light to shine brighter. It's a kind of, it's a cool analogy, right? and so on to 13, so in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. So a son of man, if you guys don't know this, um, it's actually a reference to the prophet Daniel. And so in Daniel 7, he uses the term son of man. And and Jesus uses this a lot um, throughout the gospels. And um, I think it might be, there's one that he uses it more and I can't remember. I'm not gonna try to act like I know. Um, but basically the son of man Uh, there's two kind of two terms, like son of God is Jesus, right? And then son of man. So son of God points to Jesus's uh, divinity, right? He's the son of God. He is God. Son of man points to his humanity. And so in this portrait here that we're kind of getting a glimpse into what John is seeing, he's seeing Jesus as a human. He's seeing this person that is like I mean crazy, like I've never heard anybody described with eyes of fire, right? But he's a human, okay? And so as we're worshiping Jesus, as we're reading the word, as we're trying to grow in our relationship and our knowledge of Jesus, we need to have the context, he's a human, he's like me. He understands like what it it means to be a human, to have the struggles, the emotions, right? The bad days, the good days. He understands how that is for us, right? Um, So he gets us, you know? He gets us like nobody else ever would. Um, And then on the 14, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. So white, this is a sign, um, kind of a symbol of purity and of righteousness, okay? And so I don't know if Jesus' hair is actually white, okay? We'll find out one day. It would be cool, but I picture him with like dark hair like me, but curlier, you know? Um, I mean, I'm being honest, like the chosen Jesus or, you know, I'm just like, he's got like curly hair. That's my, that's my image. I don't know if his hair is actually white. Um, but what I do know is that he is pure and he is righteous and his hair is like wool. I think because... He is the lamb of God. And he is the lamb that was slain in our place. And if you guys know anything about like Old Testament sacrifices and how it worked, the lamb had to be pure and blameless and spotless. And so that is our Jesus. And that's the reason why his death is vicarious and substitutionary for us, because he is pure and he is righteous. I I felt it. And then I'm like, I really hope it's not going down. It's okay. okay. That's never happened before. never going to preach again. Jeez. But Jesus is pure and he's righteous, all right? And he is, and he is the lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. Um, and man, he's beautiful. And f- uh, still in 14, his eyes were like a flame of fire. This is one of my favorite uh, descriptions. You guys might have heard me like sing this out sometimes or kind of talk about this. But something about the eyes of fire it just hits it just hits me different i don't know what it is but man his eyes the fire it is refining and he looks at us and he has this gaze this piercing piercing gaze with these eyes of fire that don't even compare to any other eyes and they're and they're so beautiful um And the thing about fire is it consumes everything that it touches. It consumes what it looks at, right? And so when Jesus looks at something, he wants all of it. When he looks at you with his eyes of fire, he wants his fire to consume you. He wants to consume everything you are. When he looks at his church, he wants his church to burn for him. He wants his church—he wants to be consumed by his church, and he wants to consume his church himself. So, man, he's just got these beautiful eyes of fire. On to 15. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace— His voice was like the roar of many waters. So I don't know if you guys have ever been by like a rapid river um, or a waterfall. Like I've been to Niagara Falls once. Shout out to my parents. We went there. It was a lot of fun. Um, But the sound that comes from these waterfalls, if you've been to a rapid river, the sound that it creates it's booming it's commanding it's intense it's like holy cow this this is reverberating it's like that bass drop but it's nature and it's like whoa this is sick you know but that's the voice of god and um and it's commanding and it's so powerful and so the things that jesus says like man it it comes with force it's not like it's not like hey grant How's it going? It's like, Grant. You know what I mean? Like, there's just a difference. It's so cool, man. Uh, all right, moving on. 16. So in his right hand, he held the seven stars. So like the seven lampstands were the church, the seven stars are the angels of the church. So um, I don't think it means actual angels. Really what it's referencing is like the pastor of the church or the bishop or the whoever the head of that church is. And so in Jesus' right hand, he's holding those pastors, those leaders of the church. In his right hand, um, and then from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So this sword is coming out of Jesus's mouth. I really think this is pointing towards and uh, emphasizing the words that Jesus has to say, um, because you know in Ephesians, sort of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? And um, and so Jesus Himself is the Word, um, you know, John one. In the beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh. Um, And so Jesus is the Word, but he also has words that he has to say, that he speaks and he communicates, right? And so we don't want to miss the words that Jesus is saying um, because they're sharp, like a two-edged sword. They cut. And man, like watch out because like his words, they got weight behind them and, and it's going to, whatever his words penetrate, whatever his words touch, you cut something with a sword, it's never going to be the same, right? Like you're not going to be able to get it back to the way it was before. Um, and then also Proverbs 18:21 says the tongue has the power of life and death. And so I also think there's this double meaning here because it's a two-edged sword. And so on one end, it's death. So Jesus is telling us to die to our flesh, to our sin, right? He's saying you have to die to your flesh if you wanna pick up your cross and follow me. But then there's also life on the other side of that. It's not it's not death just for death, it's life and life abundantly, right? It's life to the fullest in Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? And so so we gotta to die to ourselves. He's saying, hey, Grant, hey, take over, die to yourself. And then he's saying, but you got life in me. You got life in me, okay? It's so encouraging, right? You guys encouraged by this? It's so good. So good. And then the last part of that is his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And I was thinking about this. I'm like, this is crazy. So, like, God's awesome, and he created our solar system to work perfectly. And, like, our earth is the exact amount of distance away from the sun to where, like, we're not going to burn up. But we also have enough energy, and life can kind of run and do its thing, you know? And so, like, John is seeing Jesus' face and is saying that it's like the sun in the fullness of strength, and the full strength. And I'm thinking there, I'm like, if I looked at somebody and from their face was the shining sun in full strength, like, I would be incinerated just like that, right? Like, I wouldn't live. And and if we just—I don't want us to miss the gravity of this description of Jesus, right? Like, Jesus is not just a normal dude. Like, he's not. He is God, and he is and he is fully human, but he is God, and he is beautiful, and he's majestic. And his face is shining like the sun. And so I want to be at a spot where, you know, for me personally, like, I'm pursuing this image of God. And I'm like, God, you're showing me and explaining these mysteries and everything. And I'm like, show me this. Like, I want to actually see this. Like, yeah, I can read it and visualize it in my head, but like, no, I want to see you like this. Like, Jesus, let me see you in the fullness of your glory, and your face shining on me. And so, moving into the kind of the last part here, in verse 17, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. So, the thing that stuck out to me the most, and... Um, so John is the one that's writing this. John is the one that's seeing Jesus in this, in this regard, right? And so this is John the disciple, uh, John the beloved, John, one of the inner three disciples. And um, this dude and Jesus were tight. Like, you know, this is one of Jesus' right-hand guys sons of thunder, you know, like if you've seen the Joseph? but he's like one of the closest people to Jesus, right? Like he spent a lot of time with him. He understood this guy. He knew his mission. He was there when he was crucified. Um, He saw him afterwards. He touched his, the holes in his hand, right? So John really knew Jesus, but his response when he sees Jesus in the fullness of his glory, it says, I fell at his feet as though dead. Like, this dude thought he died from seeing Jesus in the fullness of glory. John, who spent so much time and knew Jesus and would recognize him, but he, he sees him in his fullness of glory, and he's like, oh, my gosh, you are—I'm going to die. Like, Like, that's the true fear of God right there is when we really see God for who he is with that awe, with that wonder, and we realize, man, this guy is on a— here on another planet that I'm not even close to. Like this guy is amazing. And so I want us to establish this, um, this kind of heart posture where, where we read this and we're like, wow, this is magnificent. This is a beautiful Jesus. This is a really, really, really awesome Jesus. And so I want us to seek after this Jesus. I want us to run into desire to know this Jesus, the Jesus that's described in Revelation, the Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead, the Jesus that died and raised himself from the dead, went down to hell, took the keys to death in Hades And offers us life forevermore, right? Like that's the Jesus that I'm about. God has an endless vault of glory, of majesty, of just wonder that we can't even... Like, we can begin to comprehend it, but, like, we're not going to fully understand that until we're with him in perfect unity, right? But that doesn't mean that we can just be like, nah, that's for, like, when I'm dead. Like, I don't want to live my life like that. I want to experience everything that God has for me. I want more of God every time I'm here, every time I'm in my personal time, in the secret place with the Lord. I'm saying, God, look at me with your eyes of fire. Let me see your face shining like the fullness of the sun. So I want this to stir up our hearts to just pursue more of him, to create this hunger, um, this hunger for who God is and what his word says, what he looks like, like visibly, like I want, like we should be asking God, like, hey, God, show me what you look like. Give me a vision of the throne room in heaven right now. Like, let's be praying and seeking these bold and audacious prayers because God is a God that reveals himself to us. He does not keep himself hidden. And so when we seek him, when we desire to know him more, he is faithful to reveal himself to us. And it's going to look different for all of us, right? Um, it's going to look different for Matt. It's going to look different for me, for my wife. It looks different, okay? Um, But if we can seek God with everything that we have and we can go after him with a hunger, with a passion, with a zeal to desire him and to know him more, man, our lives are going to be forever changed. And so are the lives of the people around us. So that's all I got. That's all I got. Uh, Do I have to pray? I'm not going to pray. Sydney's up next. My beautiful wife.
3: Should I clean up your mess? No, I up. You got it? <laughs> that's real. Come on. I'm pretty biased, but that was great. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Come on. I'm not gonna hang out, I No, you can you can hang out with me, that's okay. We live together. It's normal. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, hi. Hello, everybody. I also get to share what the Lord has placed on my heart. Um, and I honestly love getting to hear Angie and Grant first and then get to dive into mine, because the Holy Spirit's cool, and I feel like there's always just this through line that he yeah. weaves through everything. So, um, So I'm going to be focusing on something that I am constantly working on practicing myself, because I feel like it's usually what you wanna do is talk about the things that you're also having revealed to you on a daily basis. So we are gonna focus on prioritizing intimacy with God, intimate time with the Lord. And I talk about this all the time, and now I have a microphone to do it. So Lord, help me keep it under 15 minutes. Alrighty, Um, so Matt talks about all this stuff a lot, Um, he emphasizes the why we should do this, why we should have intimate time and build our relationship with God. And so if you haven't listened to the message on Sunday, here's my plug. Go back, listen to it, Um, because he really dives into the depth of why we should. So I'll talk a little bit about the why, but I kind of want to build off of why it's important and challenge us a little bit to consider how. How do we actually prioritize intimate time in building our relationship with him? Like thinking about our lives now, how do we do this? Because, you know, the why is important because without the why, the how literally doesn't matter. It's pointless, but without considering the how, we might end up in the same exact spot, like week after week where nothing changes unless we take personal responsibility for our spiritual growth through intimacy with Jesus. So stay tuned listen to Matt's message, and uh, we're going to start off in the word here. So, all right, John 15, verse 4 through 11. So Jesus is talking here. He says, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing at all. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, like Jesus did this too. Um, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, which I love. All right, so I'm gonna focus in, there's a lot so good Um, i want to talk about just the basics of okay why is it important to prioritize intimate time with god so most well, simply put, you guys, it's commanded. The Bible literally says so. Jesus says so. Matt and Adrian say so. <laughs> so don't just take it from me, like it is commanded. Like that is the most basic reason why you should prioritize this. So, and by keeping his commands, you guys, this is how we demonstrate our love for him. And this is how we come to know him when we know his commands and we keep them. And how do we know his commands? we spend time in prayer, the Word, worship. We spend time with Him. That's how we get to know Him. That's how we get to know what His commands are, and then we can keep them and show our love for Him through that. So, um, Jesus says, "'Abide in Me and I in you.'" And abide means to keep in fellowship, by following his commands, his commandments. Um, so we we stay with Jesus in fellowship the same way the branch and the vine must remain connected because without that relationship it doesn't survive. We we can't live in the fullness God intended for our lives without this constant relationship with him. So this is this is vital you guys. And um, so it's commanded, and then it's just, it's just foundational. This is the foundation of our, of our faith, of everything. Um, everything stems from here, from the place of intimacy, from that quiet time with the Lord. It's the foundation of the revelation that we seek, or like Grant's talking about, like revelation comes from our time with the Lord. It's the foundation of the healing that we ask for, of the, the breakthrough in our relationships, of being able to identify His will, his voice, his presence in this place—it's the foundation of all of this, and you guys, it really dictates how we see and react to the world around us. And it—it it helps us to know how we can partner with him through, through all of it, because the world's kind of crazy, you guys. So, we gotta we gotta stay in in tune with what his will is um, and what he's calling us to. So, and also. <laughs> We are little humans, and we are so prone to forgetting stuff, you guys. Like, even on the most powerful Sundays, we need to keep coming back daily to Him and operate in the Holy Spirit that dwells within us and is constantly reminding us and teaching us. Uh, Can't go Sunday to Sunday, and then expect to be able to stay in tune with what God has for us. So, and then my last, like, little plug for why is knowing Him and His Word is gonna level up or optimize every time we gather together. Um, Because when you know what his voice sounds like, how much more do you hear from him on a Sunday? Or when you know the scripture behind the lyrics that we're singing in worship, how much more powerful powerful are those words that you're singing to him, right? It doesn't take you two songs to, to feel it because you believe every word you're saying and you know the context and this might just be like the worship leader in me but um i really believe that so we can enter into his presence together and we can feel it feels familiar it's not this like foreign thing where we're like whoa this is god's presence i've never felt this it's like no like we spend time with god consistently like it is familiar and we get to come in together And I believe it also helps us prevent those walls from being built up throughout the week that we have to break down on Sundays, right? Um, Because if Sunday after Sunday you've got these walls and you break them down and then they build right back up throughout the week, I'm like, let's just stay and hang out with God all week long and then that wall doesn't get so tall. So, alrighty. So, if you want to know more about the why, you should spend time with them, you should just spend time with them and you'll find out. So um, now, I want to kind of move on from there and assess where are we starting? That's probably different for everybody, but where are we starting with this, this process? And uh, if you don't already know, I am an occupational therapist by trade, which means, (laughs) in the most general sense, I I aim to help people engage in occupations or the meaningful activity that we need to do or want to do during the day, um, which can be as basic as literally, like, getting dressed in the morning, or making meals, getting back to work, or it can involve um, like increasing engagement in meaningful activity or practices. Sorry if this is jargony, but like spending time with the Lord, like that all falls under the umbrella of those daily tasks. And if you want to know more, talk to me another time, because I'll talk to you forever. Um, So, I want to invite you guys into my world a little bit and I'm gonna walk through kind of a modified OT eval with the group. So, buckle up, buckle up. (laughs) So, uh, through the evaluations that I do with people, the goal is to get to know the person, the individual, what's meaningful to them, what they're currently doing, and then what are their goals, and how... that way I can know, okay, how do we get you from where you are now to where you wanna be? So, I just start with something super basic, and I say? tell me about a typical day for you. (laughs) When you wake up in the morning, from when you go to bed at night, what are the things that you consistently do, or typically do? And I actually want you guys, like, think about it. What does a typical day look like for you? What are the things you do consistently? And you know, you might say, brush your teeth. Hopefully, you say brush your teeth. Um, (laughs) Get ready, take care of kiddos, go to work, things like that, watch TV but if you were really to answer like answer this, if somebody just asked you, tell me about a typical day, would you say that you consistently and regularly spend time with the Lord as a part of your daily activities? Or would you say, that's considered a good day, not a typical day, but like a good bonus day, a special day, or like only on my day off of work do I actually spend time with him? And I love this question because when people answer it, it really highlights the things that are, you know, necessary and essential, like brushing your teeth. And then it also highlights the things that people prioritize, the things they enjoy and are meaningful to them. So this should fall over, I think, the essential necessary category too, but. So let's just say for the, the sake of my attempt at like a group evaluation that you all say, I wanna spend more time with the Lord on a consistent basis because I think we all could focus on that more, uh, myself included. So let's just all go in in agreement that that's what we're working towards right now. So then I might ask, okay, what are some things that make it difficult for you to spend time with him? What are the things that are maybe barriers? Like, actually think about it and write it down. Like, what are the things that pop up? If somebody were to ask, oh, how's your quiet time with the Lord? What are the the reasons you would come up with that maybe are getting in the way of you doing that? And I want you to really think about it. And then on the other side of that, what are the things that make it easier for you to spend time with the Lord? Because that's really good to know too, the barriers, but also the strengths. Like, what helps facilitate and create that time for you? We need to know all the information to come up with our game plan, right? And then I might ask, okay, so what might happen if you don't make that change? If you don't decide to prioritize your relationship with the Lord, that intimate one-on-one time? What might happen if you don't make the change? And I'm gonna let you guys just sit with that and think about it because I don't have the answer for you personally. But I wanna also ask you, what might happen if you do make the change? And I love this question. What might actually happen if you decide to prioritize Him? Like, I'm basically asking you to imagine the possibilities. If, like, what might take place if we simply just spend time with Him in prayer, worship, reading His Word? Like, what, what might He do with our obedience of just seeking Him daily? And, I don't know, that gets me really excited. So, what might He do, you guys? What... What might he do? So, we talked about the why. We did a little little mini assessment. I could ask more questions, but I'm not going to. Um, and now I just want to finish with like four points of the how. So, how we actually apply it to our lives. So, how we are going to analyze, prioritize, practice, and edify. Okay. So first thing, analyze. We started this process. So that's number one. Um, So we, instead of kicking ourselves for not spending enough time with Him, every time we leave on a Sunday and we're reminded, oh yeah, I gotta, gotta prioritize reading the Word, I gotta be in prayer. Like, let's just take some proactive, intentional time, let's give energy to actually thinking about, okay, what is my plan? How am I gonna make it actually happen? for real, versus just being in the same spot week after week. And that way, you've got this rhythm already. You've got this loose structure that when life gets crazy throughout the week, you you can fall back on this because you've already put in the energy. You've already thought about these things. So think about when are you most likely to have that quality time with the Lord in your daily schedule, your typical day, like when is that for you? And it's probably gonna look different for everybody, but through this analysis process you do, I think the most important part is prayer and partnership, though, right? So we are praying about this, about what our time looks like. Like, God wants to spend time with you. He will make a way. He is going to highlight potential opportunities for you to do that because he, he wants to hang out with you. He wants, to, he wants you to know him, and he wants you to want to spend time with him. So pray for a greater desire to spend time with him. Pray about what your intimate time looks like. Like what specifically and pray that he would reveal these opportunities to you and that you would actually recognize them and act on them because he can reveal them. But you might be like, "Eh, I don't feel like it. And then go on and do whatever your flesh wants. Right. So, taking practical steps in obedience is going to make way for those supernatural movements of God. Like, we have to partner with them. We can't just pray, take a nap, and be like, you got this, God. Like, we are active in this process, and I know we talk about it a lot, so, going to move on. Number two, prioritize. We've analyzed, now we've got to prioritize. So, what's our game plan? Let's make it happen. And this might differ between you know week to week. Some weeks are busier than others. So game plan, what does it look like during the busy weeks? So what are your non-negotiables? When things are crazy, what are you like? I absolutely have to make sure that I do X, Y, and Z. Like, non-negotiable, doesn't matter how busy I am, doesn't matter what I have going on. Game plan for that. And then, what does it look like when I have more time? So you have a little more flexibility, but do you take advantage of it when you have more time? Or do you go, ooh, free time. I'm gonna like hoard it all for myself and whatever I just feel like doing. Do you take advantage of it? So game plan for the busy times, game plan for taking advantage of the time that you've actually got. Um, And then, um, so I don't know if I mentioned, yeah, I did. So prayer, worship, reading is Word. This is what it can look like, but also you can, you know, go for a walk outside, create art, move your body. There's other ways, um, in addition to the prayer and uh, reading his word, that you can also dive into your time building a relationship with him. So pray about what that looks like for you. Um, And prioritize, follow through, do the thing, right? Okay, number three. So now we practice. This is a process. This takes practice. We are forming habits. We're working on consistency. Building this into our typical day, so we can have a better answer if somebody asks you that question. So when our days involve the practical and essential actions, even when we don't feel like it, we we begin to know Him intimately. We begin to know what He sounds like. We know His words because we know the Word. First um, John three, verse three. Um, and wait, First John two, verse three through six. I didn't write that down. Um, by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this way, we may know, or by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to have walked in the same way in which he walked. He meaning Jesus. So obeying his commands is required, guys. It's not optional. Um, for If you claim to know Him, you claim to love Him, obeying His commands is not optional. And when we are practicing these things, so it says, in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. That the perfected, it means to realize with practice. So it's a process, we need to practice it, and it gets better over time um, as we develop like our relationship with Him, and also what that looks like for us. So prioritize it, make it normal, and start to desire it. You, you really do begin to feel when you miss that time with Him. The more you spend time with Him, the more obvious it is that you're missing that time. You get this, like, unsettled feeling in your spirit, and you, you feel disconnected with God, and you're like, why do I feel so distant? And then it's like, oh, actually, I haven't spent time with Him. And, and the more you spend time with Him, the more obvious that's going to be. So we just need to be able to recognize that Um, and so it says to walk as he did or walk as jesus did and um, back to john 15 he says if you keep my my commandments you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love so jesus did it jesus is the ultimate example of seeking intimate time with the father this is how he prepared for his messages built his ministry remained in line with the father's will like he spent time with the father and he desired it um And Jesus died on the cross to make sure that we could have that same constant access to him because he dwells in us. We need to die to the flesh, right? That says, do whatever you want, indulge in whatever. Um, And then come alive in the spirit within us that actually yearns to be with him. Like our spirit wants to, to be with him and seek him. So through this time practicing, then my last thing for this point is just adapt as needed. It doesn't always have to look the same. Don't get caught up in systems. Like, you can shift with the season you're in. Shift in the way that the Lord is communicating with you most clearly and continually pray about, what does my intimate time look like with him? Because you don't wanna get stuck in this this one thing. Like, you wanna be stuck on what he wants for you and how he wants to spend time with you. So final point, edify, number four. So through this process, you're you're building yourself up, right? Um, As you're spending time in relationship with him, Jesus says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then later he goes on to say, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So build yourself up through a relationship with him so that the fruits you bear will glorify him. Like we build ourselves up so we can give him more glory. And then from there, you're gonna be better equipped to build up your family and your immediate circle. And then we're building up the body, we're building up the church, um, because your your individual intimacy and obedience is gonna enable you to have that greater impact on those around you. Like, just imagine a group of individual people with individual, intimate relationships with God, gathering together on a Sunday, Um, completely unified through him because we all prioritize this and it's it's really through this unified church that the fullness of his love and the fullness of his presence is released so I just get excited thinking about I mean I feel like we've been on this journey towards that and it's only going to be a greater outpouring so my encouragement and kind of homework is like really take time to to think about this pray about this Put in the energy because this is this is important. It's commanded. This is vital. So um, that's really all I got. I partner with me, guys. This is going to be so good. (laughs) And Micah is up next, the one and only.
0: Thank you. Good job. All right. Okay, I will try to be considerate of how late it is, but no promises. Um, Before I start, though, I do wanna do like one brain exercise that will help us remember everything we just heard. So first, I'm just gonna say, remember Angie's sermon, Isaiah 61. And just remember what you learned and what your favorite part was, and try to recite the sermon in your head in five seconds and just lock it in. So, five seconds. First sermon, go just think about it. okay, second message revelation from Grant. What was your favorite part? What stuck out to you? go okay, Sydney what what scripture was that? I forgot just think about it. <laughs> John 15. Sorry. I was looking at my notes. Yeah. (laughs) All right. All right. Now one more thing before I actually get going is when I'm in here worshiping, I just like feel like I get a download um, from God. And one thing that he's been continually telling me is just how I want to measure my ability to hear his voice And he just showed me something really interesting because I'm graduating college next year with a business degree that I don't plan on using. Um, And I have no clue what I'm gonna do. Uh, I'd like to work here full-time, but we need a lot more tithes coming in and stuff for that. Um, But here's the thing, I'm not worried about it at all whatsoever because I know it's a big deal, and I know God always comes through on big deals. So I'm actually refusing to measure my ability to hear God's voice based off how he responds to me when something big is coming up. I'm actually going to measure my ability to hear God's voice based off the minute details that he wants to direct me in. So, you know, when he tells me what to do next year, I'm going to be glad that he came through and let me know, but I'm not going to get too cocky about my spiritual ears. I, I'm, like, I want to know what shirt he wants me to wear for the day. I want to know whether he wants my shoes double-knotted or not. Like, that's how I'm going to measure my ability to hear God's voice, is if he answers something that seems like it doesn't even matter. Anyways, all right, I'll start. Fifteen minutes starting now. Um, So, this message is called The Great Divide. And uh, my belief, well, the Bible's belief, God's belief, is that every believer should be divided and when we think of a divided person we think of that in a negative way we think of somebody who's a hypocrite somebody who's just shifting all the time and their faith is kind of out of whack but really my idea of a divide is coming from Hebrews 4:12 that's not even the scripture of this sermon by the way it's a uh, Hebrews 4:12 says the word of god is alive and active sharper than any two-edged sword able to divide soul and spirit so the word of god and god's will is for us to have a divide between our soul and spirit our soul and spirit. So I'm going to get into a little bit of theology on how God designed each person. Every single person has a body, obviously, a soul, and a spirit. A lot of people think your soul and your spirit are the same thing. Zach touched on this a couple weeks ago in his message, but I'm going to get a little bit more into it. His was kind of like a side note, Um, but each one of these aspects of our being has a different role and I have like a general definition, but it's not limited to this because our body and our soul and our spirit do a lot of different stuff. But here's like the general definition is your body is how you communicate with others. Your soul is how you communicate with yourself. And your spirit is how you communicate with God. When I say your spirit, I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. We, we all have a spirit, a soul, and a body. Your soul, remember this, your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay? Body is how you communicate with others. Soul is how you communicate with yourself. Spirit is how you communicate with God. Now, when sin entered the world, it affected each one of these aspects of our being in a negative way. It ruined our body. We get sick, we die, and our body is a tool to communicate with others, and we can't do that very effectively, you know, that often, right? Ask any married couple. I'm sure communicating is hard, right? And our soul, how we communicate with ourself, our mind, our will, and our emotions, obviously that's riddled and tainted with sin, right? But our spirit, when sin entered the world, I think our spirit really drew the short end of the stick because it just died. It just fell over and died, right? And that's, that's what the Bible says is going on if you're not a believer. Your spirit still does things if you're not alive in Christ, but it's dead, And in Colossians 2.13, which the passage is talking about spiritual fullness, it says, you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive with Christ. So what God wants to do is raise your spirit to life. And like your spirit, his spirit coming together as one, and your spirit is now made alive. And the Holy Spirit is like taking on the role of what a lot of your spirit does. And the last thing before I get into scripture... Not only does each aspect of our being have a role, there is actually a hierarchy that God designed for it to have. So, our spirit is how we communicate with God. Where do you think that should be in the hierarchy? First, right? If your soul is how you communicate with yourself, and it's first in the hierarchy— then anything that your spirit receives from God, your soul is gonna have to approve of it, meaning your carnal mind is going to interpret what God is saying to you, and you're actually gonna renew your mind with things that are filtered through your experience and lies that you've heard, right? So when sin entered the world, the hierarchy really got messed up, and a lot of people are just living with a soul that is huge, and their spirit is like this little thing that maybe they get a whisper once in a while, you know? That's not what God wants, right? That's not what God wants. One thing I wrote down is how can you tell as a Christian if your soul is dominating your spirit? Uh, One thing that sticks out to me is there will be no mystery in your relationship with God because you won't be able to handle mystery if your life is ran by your carnal mind because you will not receive anything from God that isn't first approved by what's up here. But if you're... If your soul and your mind is in submission to the spirit, then you're going to welcome all the mystery. And if God says, step, and I say, okay, I trust you got something for me, that means my spirit and what I'm hearing from him is going to determine how I move. But if my life is ran by my carnal mind and he says, step, I'm going to tell him I'm not going to step until I see a step stool. Then I'll go, right? There's no mystery, no mystery. And there's also no real joy. Just two little things. If your life is ran by your carnal mind, everything that you eventually receive from God will have ran through your brain first, and you're going to then take it on as your own. You're going to receive his revelation and think you earned it, and the only joy you actually get will be you patting yourself on the back and taking credit for what God is trying to do through you, right? And that's not joy. That's pride. Those are just two triggers. If you recognize that in yourself, I think your soul is doing a little too much. Your carnal mind has a little too much authority, right? All right, we'll get into some Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Um, Paul gets into this, and he's talking about wisdom. But in the in the little paragraph before this, he's talking about when he first came to the Corinthian church, he was so careful and cautious to not speak this super eloquent, wise message because they might just get baffled by what he's saying and they might either reject the wisdom that he's giving from the Lord because their spiritual ears aren't opened or they're going to filter his wise wise words through their mind and they're going to give him too much credit or give themselves too much credit and they'll just end up with a bad interpretation of the gospel. So he says, when I first came to you guys, I just shared the gospel, I just shared the gospel, and I just demonstrated it with Holy Spirit power. Right, that, to me, that gives us a kind of insight on how we should um, evangelize to people that like to argue. Is what if we just do a miracle? Right. Um, anyway, so that, that's kind of the context. Is he was really careful the first time around to not speak with eloquent wisdom because they'll give, they'll just get caught up in the in their carnal mind. But he says we do, however. First Corinthians two six through sixteen. what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Okay, there's a lot. There's a lot. One thing I want us to kind of ask ourselves right now as we break down the scripture is, are you discerning anything that comes your way with the mind of Christ, or are you discerning with your carnal mind? Are you receiving your revelation with your spirit at the forefront, direct input to the rest of your being, Or are you receiving revelation that's been filtered through your soul? Which part have you given the authority role in your life? Now, one thing that I didn't mention about the role of the spirit is that uh, this is really cool. The human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. That's what Proverbs 20, 17 says. So one thing that the human spirit does is it sheds light on your inner being and exposes everything. It's searching, it's searching. And that is what is actually talked about in 1 Corinthians 2:16. He he describes what it means to have the mind of Christ. He says, He says right here that one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit within the Trinity is the same exact job that the Holy that our spirit has within our trinity, our body, our soul, and our spirit. It says, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, capital S. The Holy Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit is searching God, his innermost thoughts, everything, the revelation, the glory. It's getting a full understanding. It's like Man, I I just, I'm trying to get like a revelation of what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to search the deep things of God. But then he goes on to say, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? He's basically saying "What, what I just said the Holy Spirit does within the Trinity, your spirit is doing that within you. But the cheat code is coming up. No one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have received the spirit who is from God. So remember the Holy Spirit that's searching God, his innermost thoughts? Everything, all that revelation, it says in Psalms, David is saying that your thoughts for me are innumerable. They outnumber the sands on the seashore. That's part of the things that Holy Spirit is searching in God. And He is willing to turn back around, take that revelation that he just got from the Trinity, (laughs) and deposit it into your mind. So remember when I said that the Holy Spirit takes your dead spirit, raises it to life, and they become like this? the Holy Spirit begins to hijack a lot of the jobs that your spirit was trying to do and failing miserably at. So your spirit was trying to shine a light on your innermost being, and it wanted influence. But your carnal mind was ruling over it, so your spirit was able to do a little bit of stuff, but it had no real authority. It could just reveal things once in a while. But then the Holy Spirit raises it to life and tries putting it back as an authority figure and says, not only am I going to shine a light, I'm actually going to, deposit the revelation that is directly from God, so much to the point where you could actually say out loud, I have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. Now, how many of us know that we don't always take the Lord up on everything that he offers, right? We don't. And that's why some of us might not be able to say they have the mind of Christ and keep a straight face because You know, we know we don't think the same things that Jesus is always thinking, but yet this says we have the mind of Christ, right? This, to me, is a challenge to take the Lord up on his offer. Take him up on his word. He's literally saying the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God, and he's willing to deposit that into your being, and it's already happened when you came alive in Christ. But you just have to get that carnal mind out of the way it takes a lot of the things that sydney was talking about it takes practice it takes self-evaluation self-reflection this is just what i wrote down the holy spirit and your same and your spirit have a similar role but the holy spirit hijacks your spirit role and inputs god's thoughts into you yeah. the natural ma- the natural man has his mind as his filter the mind decides what makes sense the soul decides what is good and bad what we will and won't do The Spirit has no authority. The mind reigns supreme, causing complete destruction in the carnal man. Holy Spirit wants to completely submit your mind and transform it. Your mind is a great servant but a terrible master, right? What are some practices that we can do to build our spirit? So now that we are made alive in Christ, like I said, everybody has a spirit. Not everybody has a spirit that's alive and living with the Holy Spirit. So now that we have the mind of Christ, what are some practices that we can do to really see the fruit of having the mind of Christ, right? Because it's cool to say it, but man, like I genuinely want to live knowing that I have the mind of Christ and I'm thinking what he's thinking, right? So here's some practices that we can do to build our spirit. Number one, praying in the spirit. Kind of, duh, right? Um, which is also praying in tongues, and uh, not everybody does that. And you know, I was talking with my family, we were talking, I was like, guys, praying in the spirit has been this awesome thing that's really changed my life. And I understand you guys can't all do it, but can you groan? Everybody, yeah, I think everybody can groan. This goes along exactly with what, what Scott was saying. So okay, if you can't speak in tongues, make the practice of getting on your knees and groaning before the Lord, because that is your spirit interceding on your behalf and what happens to the hierarchy when you let your spirit loose to intercede on your behalf he starts taking ground that he's supposed to already have right praying in the spirit that's my number one practice to build the spirit number two bless your spirit this is very interesting i have a a blessing your spirit book um, and it's literally just prayers that are only dedicated to your spirit you can actually pray to your spirit to be built up. If somebody was sick, don't we lay hands and pray that they're healed? Yeah. If somebody's depressed, don't we just pray that, that that be removed? Well, it's the same thing. You can directly pray for your spirit and your entire being will be changed because of it because your spirit is supposed to be at the top. So blessing your spirit. Number three, finding good community. I think if all you guys show up here regularly, you, you found good community. Good job. Um, but I think something along with that is being good community. And you can actually bless people spirit to spirit. Like there's a spiritual connection that happens where when you encourage somebody, you can build their spirit just by them having community with you and you upbuilding them through your words. So that's my number three is finding good community. And then number four, which I don't have written down, but it seems like the most obvious one, it's Worship. Worship. You know, there's a psalm, I wish I knew it word for word, but it's talking about how your soul and your spirit are crying out and worshiping at the same time. But (laughs) naturally, our soul doesn't really want to, but our spirit does. When we let our spirit intercede, our soul needs to follow suit, right? Because our mind, our will, and our emotions can submit. They are meant to submit and be renewed and transformed by the Holy Spirit. And by you building your spirit, right? So worship, 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 right? Uh, Actually, worship team, can you guys come up? Am I supposed to? I'm supposed to tell you guys to come up, right? Um, Sorry. (laughs) Um, Great transition, great transition. Um, Yeah, so I pretty much finished already, and you guys aren't up here yet. That's my bad. Um, So, what I want to do. Yeah, no, 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 not yet, not quite yet. This revelation right here, you know, like last year I didn't know if I had a soul and a spirit. I didn't know if they were the same thing. I didn't know the roles of each and this and that. But now I know that the Lord actually wants them to be separated, he wants there to be a hierarchy, and he's speaking to each one of those aspects of my being individually. This is such an opportunity to build ourselves up in a way that we wouldn't be able to if we were unaware of this theology right? Because the Bible says, this is a verse that is probably my favorite verse of the year. It says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You know, people, but meanwhile, the world is saying what you don't know won't hurt you. But meanwhile, you learn more about God and it causes breakthrough, right? So this revelation right here that we can directly build our spirit and the Holy Spirit can get this authority in our being that will rewire the rest of who we are. This is an authority that we need to think about establishing. Now, every time we read the word, every time we pray, let's just start throwing in, Lord, put my spirit where it needs to be. Lord, build this up. Whenever I'm I'm praying spirit blessings over Zach, over my family, over Matt, I just picture that their spirit is a student at a desk taking notes and the Holy Spirit is the teacher. And they're looking at their notes, they're looking up, they're looking down at their notes because your guys' spirits are so hungry. They're so hungry because they want to rule, they want to reign, and they want to let Holy Spirit just absolutely flow through your entire being. So blessing your spirit is what I want this this main part of worship to be right here. Obviously, we're ministering to the Lord, but he's going to come down, and he's going to offer, and we're going to take him up on that offer, right? So that's my goal today. Good theology makes us aware of more things that the Lord is offering, and then we're going to step into that mystery and take him up on his offer, right? So I'm just going to pray real quick, um, and then we'll sing. That, that wasn't too long. That wasn't too long. Um, 20, oh, it was too long. All right, anyways, dear Lord, dear Lord, um, God, I thank you so much uh, for this church. I thank you so much for uh, Holy Spirit. I thank you that you, you do keep certain things for yourself that need to be kept for yourself, but yet you're willing to give us more than we can ever take you up on. God, you're searching the innermost thoughts Holy Spirit, you are searching the innermost thoughts of God and you're willing to deposit them into us. So Lord, would you just show us the fruit of that God with words of knowledge, prophetic visions, more insight into sin that needs to be exposed in our own lives, God. Lord, we have the mind of Christ. Take over church. I bless you with the mind of Christ. I bless you with revelation of having the mind of Christ. I bless you with the spirit that comes out of hiding. I bless you with the spirit that is hungry and thirsty for God. I bless you with the spirit that has an extremely loud voice. I bless you with discerning of spirits. I bless you with dividing between soul and a spirit. So when you get a thought, you know if it's a twisted thought from your carnal mind and you know if it's a thought that is influenced by Holy Spirit you will know. I bless you with that revelation and knowledge. You have the mind of Christ and you will see the fruit of it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.